On today's episode, I have an incredible conversation with Audrey Saccone. Audrey is the CEO of Audrey Digital. She is an experienced marketer and technologist who has served dozens of successful digital businesses. And by the way, these are people and brands that you know, that you love, and that you buy from. Following about five and a half years in the nonprofit sector, Audrey moved into the online marketing space where she has worked for leaders like Marie Forleo and Sophia Amoroso. Today, Audrey and her team of developers and technologists support your favorite e-commerce and digital businesses and ensure that their marketing and digital operations are always operating at peak performance levels. Now, in today's conversation, Audrey and I get really, really deep and into the nitty gritty of what it's like to be both a high achieving, ambitious CEO who is responsible for a team and for their livelihoods and for their futures, and also somebody who is committed to being an incredible service provider and a professional for other CEOs. And wearing those two hats, as Audrey very transparently and honestly shares in our conversation today, can be both beautiful and really, really burdensome. And I especially appreciated that Audrey shared the transition that she and her team have been going through over the recent months. She's telling you where she's been, where she is now, and where she and the team hope to go. But she's very much still in that transition. And I don't know that all CEOs would really share as honestly as she does. I am so delighted to bring you this conversation. I found it personally impactful. I found it deep and rich and really transformative. But as you hear, we also enjoy some laughs over our musical theater backgrounds, being in orchestra as young kids, and what that felt like to be a performer who moved into a very tech-heavy and marketing-heavy career. So I hope that you enjoy listening as much as I enjoyed speaking with Audrey Saccone. Welcome to Hard Costs, the podcast. I'm your host, Katie Widrick, fractional CMO and funnel fixer. And guess what? I'm good in a crisis and I know how to see through the chaos to find clarity. That's something I've learned from working behind the scenes as a strategic partner for visionary CEOs. I'm on a mission to bring founders to the forefront and to tell the truth about the hard costs of doing business. You know, we all see wins shared on social media highlight reels every day, but what we don't often get a glimpse into are the tough times, the lost revenue, hiring and firing, moments that required major pivots and so much more. On hard costs, we're bringing forward the stories that will help you understand that the roller coaster ride you're on is all part of the gig. And just like a roller coaster, the founder journey can be pretty thrilling. Take a listen while I share my own experiences, case studies from companies I've worked with, and I'm joined by some of my favorite founders to help you navigate this storm the right way. Now let's rise together. Welcome, Audrey. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. Well, I have really been looking forward to this conversation. In fact, I probably have shared this with you, but every time your face comes up in my feed, anytime I think about your name, I smile for for two very good reasons. The first one is that my oldest daughter is named Audrey. So there's just Mm -hmm. like an immediate kind of warm feeling that I have when I see you and I think of my firstborn. And the other is that I feel such a kindred spirit with you because from the outside looking in, I feel like 
you have been able to create this booming, profitable, impact forward business of which you are the CEO, but you're also really kind of the tech expert behind the scenes for other CEOs. And I find that that's a little bit different than the traditional CEO story. Do you think of yourself as CEO first or client provider first? Uh, I mean, just right off the bat with a big question, I think for the beginning of my business, very much client forward, but I have very intentionally spent the last, I'd say nine to 12 months of switching as much into CEO mode as possible because I don't have to be the operator all the time, which is so, so hard to me because I think for those of us who are high achievers and who've been successful, you know, it's, it can be very hard to relinquish that control and, you know, the glory and the ego that goes along with it. But the business can't thrive and grow if I'm doing all the time. I have to lead. Yeah, I, that really resonates with me because I used to really just say I'm a done for you service provider and I work mm-hmm. with incredible high achieving CEOs, seven, eight, nine figure plus CEOs. And so I always felt like, okay, well, that really helps people understand the breadth of what I do. But, you know, at the heart of it, I still often feel like a nerd and, and, and proudly. I love being in the mm-hmm. weeds. I love being the the one that kind of comes in and controls the chaos. And so as you have been making that shift over these last few months, is there anything that has come up from for you from a mindset perspective? Did this come really naturally or have there been things that you've been kind of working over your inner dialogue? Yeah, I think it's been really challenging at times for me. You know, I started my career in a rather low stakes environment and I had a lot of safety and room to fail. And with our clients that we work with, and because the team is so small and we're working with people who have very high expectations, we don't have that same safety. So it's been tough to really like maintain that high quality while training team members, having them learn and grow. And some of them don't have the same, I mean, none of them have the same experience, obviously, but you know, they don't have even similar experiences. They're excellent at what they do, but sometimes they're doing something for the first time or they haven't done something in six months and they don't have that same muscle memory that I do to fall back on. So, you know, it's just, it's really challenging and maintaining expectations with the client and making sure we have the proper QA processes in place so that when things do go wrong, we catch it first and we're able to fix it and nobody knows about it. It's funny that you say that because I was recently talking with a client and I was handing off some of the the tasks and the SOPs. And then I said, you know, but don't worry, I've highlighted all of the things that are that, that could break. And the good news is it's mm-hmm. a very small amount of things. But then I realized that confidence came from breaking everything, right? Like I have, right. I have crashed websites, I have upgraded plugins, I have added apps, you know, I have sent emails uh, thinking it was to a small segment. And, and I, like you, Audrey, I'm like, very, very detail oriented. I check things. Mm-hmm. Anytime I have to send an email to, let's say over a hundred people. And, and like you, I have worked with much larger email lists, much more high stakes uh, initiatives. But if it's mm-hmm. over a hundred, I am still going to check it 10 times. I'm going to leave my desk and come back and make sure that it actually is correct. All of that, all of that happens. So when you are working with a team as a lot of our listeners are either agency owners or are trying to transition out of that one-to-one done for you kind of upper limit work. 
how have you been able to build a team and really not just build, but train and coach them so that you feel like, well, they're totally in their zone of genius and I can trust them. Oh, I mean, it's taken a lot of time. Part of it is, you know, hiring people I really, really trust. You know, one of my team members has been with me since the beginning of my business. And she's someone I've known for a very long time. And I hired her for her adaptability. I didn't hire her because she knew how to do anything. that She knew how to do none of the things that we did. Um, but I knew she was a fast learner. I knew she had good technical instincts. And I knew she could figure things out. And because of that, I trusted her to do that. And I gave her the time and space to do that. So something that might take me 10 minutes because I've done it you know, 100 times and for years might take her an hour the first time. And then it takes 45 minutes and then it takes 30 minutes. And then eventually it takes 10 minutes. And just knowing to build that in and be patient and graceful, which are not always my strengths, but things I'm always working on. Um, you know, that's kind of been the way to do it. And then also hiring people who are really good at what they do. You know, we've transitioned over the past few months to really focus on development only. And while I've built a handful of sites myself and been involved in many, many builds, like I am on paper, I'm not a developer. I'm a marketer. I'm a strong technical marketer. And I understand code and I can write code and I can read code, but I, you know, don't I don't do it every day and I don't want to do it every day. So it's about hiring people who are excellent at it and trusting them to do things that I don't do that well. And actually, for me, that's been very freeing because it lets me step out of the day-to-day because I couldn't step into it if I wanted to because I haven't done it in a long time. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally get that. And it's funny because every once in a while, I will almost force myself to do... I, I call it undercover boss. But really, what it is, is just mm-hmm. testing myself and going in and making sure, do I still actually know how to deploy that email or to update mm-hmm. that code? I, I love that you shared that. Okay, so we're talking about current day, Audrey, and all mm-hmm. of the work that you you have done and all the work that you're continuing to do. But I want to go back in time. Did little Audrey, fifth grade, sixth grade, say, I'm going to grow up and become what you are today? What were your dreams? What What was your kind of highest aspiration when you were younger? Oh, little fifth grade Audrey was either going to be like a Broadway star or a pop star, and there was kind of no other option for me. Um, that I've always loved performing. I loved being on stage. That was, that was where I wanted to go. And so how did that personality tell me a little bit, I guess, about your origin story? What did you go to school for? Did you go to school? Did you come right out and get working? Talk me through those years. I did go to school. I did go to school for music. I went to school initially for music education because For anybody who's listening, who's interested in pursuing music, I think this has changed a little bit in the past 15 to 20 years. But for me, it was very much told, okay, you can perform and like learn how to perform professionally and struggle or be in the 1%, right? But mostly you'll struggle and, you know, be set up for potentially a lot of failure or you can teach. And those are like the only two options. Mm -hmm. I was like, fine, I'll teach because I can get a teaching degree and still perform if I want to. And either way, I have a job to fall back on. And I go to school and I was in the education program and I just was like, I don't want to do like go to a classroom every single day. That sounds terrible for me. 
Uh, it's, listen, that's perfect for other people. But like the idea of being around children every day doing the same thing every single day, I was like, I'm going to be bored out of my mind. And one of my uh, professors was like, I think you should switch to the music business program, which I did. And our, the school that I went to has a really unique music business program. A lot of them are really structured around products or recording. And ours has that as well. But it also has a really strong arts administration um, piece of it. So really big in the nonprofit space and other organizations. And, you know, it was funny. It's like, to me, I was in the youth orchestra when I was in high school. I loved the, you know, the local roadshow house that had all the Broadway productions coming in. And I never put two and two together that that was a job for somebody to like manage those things. You know, it's like, oh, people just do this in their spare. Like, I don't know. I had no idea. And so I learned a lot about that. And I spent the first five and a half years of my career at a nonprofit in the opera space. We were, uh, it's a service organization. So we were like an umbrella organization for all the opera companies in the United States, of which there are over 150. In case you would like a fun trivia fact about that, there are many of them. And But I did marketing. I did front-end web development. I did events. We had a huge annual conference every year. Like I learned so much about how to do so many things. And that was honestly, I think one of the best decisions I've ever made in my career because it set me up for my whole future. Little Katie and little Audrey would have gotten along very, very well. So I was, <laughs> I was a first chair flautist. I went mm-hmm. all the way through high school doing high, you know, high school theater musicals. I mm-hmm. thought for sure I was um, dating myself a little bit, but I thought for sure. I mean, I was like coming up in the era of the Jessica Simpson, Britney Spears, Christina mm-hmm. Aguilera, and Vogue, you know, Janet oh, Jackson. Yeah. They were my, they were my ladies. And uh, I realized so quickly as I was coming into high school, number one, I didn't actually have the pure talent. And there was something about that that actually was okay. I'm, I'm Mm -hmm. not a perfectionist, but I would say I'm very high achieving. And it's that, so for me to say, Oh, I actually don't feel like I need to be the best at that. That was sort of a sign that maybe that wasn't intended to be my calling. Um, and then I had a very Mm -hmm. similar experience because I went to school for broadcast journalism and I thought that my career was going to, you know, take me on air. I actually realized that the whole power structure and dynamic was behind the scenes. And Mm -hmm. so I moved into becoming a news producer, which as you shared with your story, you know, ultimately led me to build the website because nobody on the team knew how to do that and launched the right. email newsletter because no one knew how to do that. And then I actually discovered that was not, not just more in demand. It was actually a better fit for, for all of my skills, but it's always mm-hmm. interesting for me to hear like, what was this arc? You've actually provided me with a perfect segue though, because I know that you are still a musical theater fan. I can see that you are constantly <laughs> playbills. I love this, by the way, my mother, my parents met in a drama uh, class in California a long, long time ago. I won't date them, mm-hmm. but I've already dated myself. And they still are active in community theater and really encourage that in me. So even myself, my kids, we are very into musical theater. Is there a particular play or uh, musical theater uh, production that you have loved and you'd love to see again and again and again? Oh my God. I mean, most of them. Like I could just... Good, bad, ugly, beautiful, everything in between. Like, I will go see them. Um, I mean, I think in terms of what's running right now, I saw Chucked. I've seen Chucked twice in the past month. And it's excellent. It's very funny. Um, So if that ever tours in your 
in your hometown, definitely go see it. It is just hilarious. Um, but I, I mean, I love a good ensemble focused show. Mm-hmm. I love a comedy. I don't think there's enough comedy, especially comedy musicals. Um, but you know, while I believe in the fact that theater should inspire you and tell a story, I also believe that theater should entertain you and it should be a form of escapism. And, you know, you should just be able to go and sit in a room for three hours and not have your phone on. You know, I think even when we go to the movies, I mean, I don't really go to the movie theater, but like when you watch a movie at home or watch you like you have your phone, you have your laptop, like theater is just an experience where you're all there together and you can just be in the moment and be present and just enjoy. I love that. I was very, very pregnant with my second daughter and I attended an Adina Menzel concert and she, my daughter basically came out of the womb singing. Uh, so I really wonder if there was something in the atmosphere that day that, in, and of mm-hmm. course she's, she's a huge wicked fan. She's a huge uh, frozen fan, obviously, but so I love that. Okay. So we talked about your team. We talked about younger Audrey. Talk to me a little bit about your your personal inner circle. So I'm not just talking about your team mm-hmm. members who maybe sometimes feel like family and feel close. Where do you go when you need to bounce ideas off of other people? You need to vent. You need perspective outside of work. What is it? A large circle, small circle? What does that look like for you? I think it's a pretty small circle. Um, there's I have a group of five other women that I put together as just like a peer mastermind kind of group that has been such a lifesaver this past year, I think, for all of us. Um, we're all similarly sized businesses. We all have teams, small teams, but you know, it's still team and I, I think this size of business, you know, like we haven't hit the million dollar annual mark yet. And this point, especially as an agency owner, economies of scale are not in your favor yet. And I think this is one of the most challenging mm. like places to be. So that's been so valuable for all of us to say, I'm having this problem with this team member. I'm having this problem with cash flow. I'm having this problem with clients or whatever. And I think all of us at some point have been like, you know, do we, do I burn it down to the ground? Like all, I think all of us at some point in the past six months, you know, like what are some of us more, more than one time, you know? And so I think to have that space of other women who are at the same stage, who get it, and we can just candidly have those conversations has just, you know, makes you feel so much less alone because you, you can't, share that with your team, you know, cause they, you don't want them to worry about their jobs or the business, you know? So to just have that, I think is, that's been, I think the best thing I've ever done. Yeah. I, that's one of the reasons that I started this podcast. And the reason I called it hard cost, because, you know, I have had similar experiences to what you just shared, you know, working in upper level leadership for a nine figure company, mm-hmm. running my own multiple six figure, seven figure company, working with those incredible CEOs. And of course, all of these things are going well, right? Mm-hmm. But the crown is still really heavy. Sometimes you are still thinking, how am yeah. I going to make payroll? How do I address this unhappy client? How do I deal with the fact that this product wasn't you know, in inventory? All of these things that come mm-hmm. up. And I love that you just shared that because there is something really lonely and isolating, which is... I don't, I often find myself like pulling back that language because for someone who is Mm -hmm. maybe 
startup land or is really underwater, like they don't want to hear somebody who has a successful, and I'm using air quotes for anyone who's not mm -hmm. watching the video. You know, so I, I love that you shared that. What, what have been the times in this most recent journey where the crown has felt the heaviest? What kind of decisions have you had to make or hard conversations uh, that have really challenged you as a CEO? Um, we changed our entire business model a couple months ago. So we went from being a full service marketing agency. You know, I had creatives on my team. I, you know, this time last year, I had six or seven full time team members. And, you know, that business just honestly, like, wasn't those services weren't profitable for me at all. And it was really, really challenging. Resourcing was very uneven from project to project. Some people needed a lot of copies, some people needed a lot of designs. And my team was tired, my team was stressed because they would have a really busy week and then they have a really empty week. And like, how do you prepare for that? Yeah. You know, and, and we can do as much planning on our end as possible, but sometimes those weeks are just unavoidable. Um, and so I made the decision to cut all of those services and just focus on web, which meant, um, you know, letting go of some key members and letting go of almost our entire roster of clients and starting from scratch and it's been a really, I mean, honestly, it's been a really challenging couple of months. Mm -hmm. It's been really exciting. I mm -hmm. love our new clients. Um, the team is much happier and much less stressed. And, you know, but we're working to really rebuild for a thing that we were kind of known for, but not really. And also in a new industry, we are really in the online course and membership space. And now we're really focused on e-commerce because I... Don't I, I personally feel the course and membership space has gotten a little too volatile for my comfort level to hang my hat on just that industry. And I wanted to focus somewhere that I know will there is need for and there will be need for a long period of time. Yeah, it sounds to me from the outside looking in and having had the pleasure of watching you through some of this transition, you know, what you've shared publicly is that, you know, I think m many of the CEOs that we look up to or that have provided a, some kind of roadmap or, or been role mm -hmm. models in some way, it turns out in hindsight that they really were able to look in their crystal ball and say, I see where things are going to be in 12 months and I need to pivot now. But the, the 12 months in between, especially if you haven't it's so hard one of capital it's it or aren't taking on a lot of investment mm -hmm. money or private capital i i i love that you are you know building in public in a sense um mm -hmm. or to, you know the amount that you feel is fair to your clients and to your team but i really love that you shared that audrey and i truly cannot wait to see what things are like for you and your team and your clients six months from now um because oh I my god me too <laughs> the future is so amazing in terms of Shopify development and, and D2C and mm -hmm. e-commerce and all of this. So I'm just not that you needed an extra fan, but just know that you have one. And I spend a lot of time trying to read the tea leaves as, as we all do. Mm -hmm. And I have the benefit of it not impacting my particular business line. Um, but totally. I will just tell you that when I look at the future of AI and D2C and all of these like, you know, fulfillment centers, it's just, it seems to me like you have really bet on the right horse and I'm delighted for you and your team, but I will be, I will be keeping you in my thoughts because I know these pivots are often painful and exciting at the same time. <laughs> Things that, you know, and it's really hard. And you know, I'd say part of the other realization we came to is 
I really sat down and identified who I want to keep working with in terms of clients. And for as much love and respect and admiration I have for people in the course membership space, I'm sure many of whom are might be listening to this podcast is, you know, the, uh, the CEOs over there tend to be a little bit less experienced and, you know, don't necessarily understand how to work with an agency. And, and that's totally fine. But I didn't have the bandwidth to teach them that. It's something I talk about with my friends a lot of the time is when, you know, we'll get feedback from a client of like, why can't you respond right away? Why can't you be like this, 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 this? And like, those are people who've only worked with employees and don't understand that an agency or even a contractor, they're not an employee and they'll get frustrated with us. You know, why don't you reply? It's like, you're not our only client. This Mm -hmm. is not the most important thing that we're dealing with. Like we have to measure that. And now we're working with clients who either they're a little bit more experienced and or we're actually working with their teams mm-hmm. who are experienced. And for me, I love not working with the CEOs all the time because the CEOs, and I'm saying this as a CEO who loves and cares very much about my business and my team, you know, it's so much more personal for them. Whereas an employee who you're working with, they're there to do a job. And it's just a much healthier relationship, in my opinion, for just the way we were working with people. Yeah. And what I find too is that many of the CEOs that you're talking about, you know, their highest value to the marketplace and to their team is to really stay in visionary role. Right? Mm-hmm. Anytime they're pulled into the details, not only is is their light and their fire really dimmed and dulled, but they actually make a mess. You know, there's a, a mentor yeah. that I had <laughs> who used to talk about that type of CEO as being an arsonist. You know, if they're having to mm-hmm. get pulled back into the details, then they're naturally going to start setting fires and they're going to start, you know, stopping yeah. projects at the 90% mark. And I, so I agree with you, but I think, and, and I'm just coming like you sort of, I, I have my CEO hat as somebody who's running a business and working with a team and yet still providing a service for other CEOs. Mm-hmm. That's why at the beginning of our conversation, I you know mentioned I love this this overlap in, in our approach. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, you do sort of have to say, hey, if I'm going to do the best work for you, I actually need you to not mm-hmm. be a part of it. You need to trust me. You need to trust yeah. your team. You need to trust the process. And and that can, I, I think, be a difficult conversation. So I love that you're navigating it too. So when you talk about some of these these challenging opportunity you know challenging days but also really the opportunities that you see I am I fall back on a lot of mantras or a lot mm-hmm. of sayings quotes things that really just kind of become my north star or help me get back in alignment when I feel mm-hmm. like something's out is there anything like that a quote a mantra a saying anything like that that you come back to that helps guide you I mean, I think one of the things I really think about is, you know, everything's going to work out the way it's supposed to. And to date, everything has worked out the way it was supposed to. Even if it sucked in the moment, everything in hindsight that has happened to me has been has been right for whatever reason. And holding on to that has been really wonderful. Um, but I also like I take a lot of walks. I eat a lot of ice cream. I read a lot of books and not like personal. I've like, I can't read any more personal development. I've read so many. I'm like burnt out on them, but like novels, I read novels. I watch like trash TV and oh, just, yeah. I try to have I'm, separation I'm from the talk. business. Okay. I'm fully on book talk. I'm <laughs> like, hey, give me some chili peppers. That is what I need. Yeah. I don't need to read oh, another yeah. email book. Like take, take me out. <laughs> 
Yes, a thousand percent. Okay, so I'm going to walk you through a little bit of a lightning round. Um, mm-hmm. And I would love to know first, are you team iPhone, team Android, team iOS oh, or Android? iPhone. Yeah, iPhone. yeah. It's funny when I ask developers or people who have a development background, because more and more I'm hearing them go back to Android devices. Um, and I think it's really just like a code environment thing. But from a from a user experience, I'm, I'm with you. I think it's iOS all the way. I love that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Especially as a marketer, like that's exactly all, all right. the good apps are on, on iOS. That's exactly <laughs> right. I know. I know. And again, who knows what will change here in the next six mm-hmm. months, but I think Apple's got a, a pretty tight lockdown on that. Um, and obviously Shopify from your perspective is developing some really exciting apps. Uh, so I'm going to be watching that space quite, quite oh, carefully. Yeah. Okay. Social media platform. First of all, do you enjoy being on social media? And if so, or even if not, what is your favorite platform to share more business, but also personal content? Uh, In terms of creating content, Instagram, in terms of consuming content, either Instagram or TikTok. Mm -hmm. But I honestly, like I keep deleting. I have, so I'm a two phone girly. So I have a work phone. I have a personal phone. It is one of the best things I've done for my mental health. And so I have all the social accounts on my work phone, but I pretty often delete them off of my personal phone because I will just scroll, 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 scroll forever. And it's just not good for me. So I try to like, I use it for work and for the business and that's it. I am going to admit that I never even thought about having separate phones. Back in the day, I had mm-hmm. a phone and a pager and the pager, again, mm-hmm. I'm about dating myself, the pager was really where anything important went for work. Uh, and yes. my phone was, but that's really the last time I even conceptualized separating work and real life. I, you just unlocked a major... Oh my uh, God. Up, <laughs> up level. It is. <laughs> And I think especially dealing with some like higher profile clients, they love to text. Ugh. These people oh love God. to do business over it. I despise it, but some people like this is just how they operate. And this like lets me, I keep the phone in my office, you know, even or my home office, like it stays in my work bag when I get home and I'll deal with it in the morning. Okay. Truly. That might have been the most important thing for me personally, uh, because I too, it is funny. There's like an inverse, um, the, the higher up the client gets, the more they just want to text you. Oh, I'm just going to text you that photo. I'm just going to, and you know, there's only so much you can say, uh, when you're operating at that level. So Mm -hmm. that makes me feel better. Okay. So you're given a three month sabbatical from work and there are no negative impacts, no impact on Mm -hmm. cash flow. The business keeps running all of these Mm -hmm. things. Where do you go? Who are you with? What are you doing? I'm going to Italy. I'm bringing my mom and my sister and we're going to make pasta for three months. <laughs> oh my gosh. So instead of eat, pray, love, it's just eat, eat, eat. It's and just it's, eat. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh my, <laughs> so happy. I might have to tuck myself in your suitcase <laughs> if, you, if you take that trip. Oh, please, listen, we'll party. be there for three months. So, oh you know, you come God. wherever you want. Oh, I, I have, uh, I had the pleasure of spending one day in Venice, one day in Rome, one day in Florence <laughs> many, many, many years ago. And it is on my must see again list. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to hop onto that trip with you. It sounds amazing. Yes. Um, talk to me about your biggest fear and I'm going to let you go wherever you want an actual existential fear, a silly fear. Uh, tell me what would keep you up at night or terrify you. Um, I mean, the thing that actually keeps me up at night is I think my biggest fear is like having to let go of the team. I think that's like, that is my biggest fear and letting down my team. 
Yeah. Not, not even clients. It's, I mean, the clients, fine, yeah. they'll live. But my team, I just, they're everything to me. Yeah. I think that is probably the number one hard cost that somebody who has not yet yeah. leveled up to being a CEO where people's livelihoods depend on it. It's, mm-hmm. It is an all-consuming opportunity, but also responsibility. And, and yeah, I know you're not the only one that takes that seriously. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll let you go on one later note. Do you drink coffee? And if so, what is your coffee order? I drink coffee all day through an IV if I could. Um, Iced coffee all year round. Either like an iced cold brew, but I like to kind of do like a concentrated cold brew. So it's almost like an espresso. And I've been doing my own shaken like cold brew or shaken espresso every morning with like the brown sugar um but like actual brown sugar not the syrup like if you like shake it with some ice it just dissolves and it gets all frothy and delicious and then i just top it with a bunch of oat milk and i've uh, got one sitting at my desk right now it's oh very my sweaty gosh. um that good. sounds so refreshing and so delicious i used to be i grew up in boston and so dunkin donuts was mm-hmm. really coffee in town. And then when I got older and kind of expanded my palate, um, yeah, the world of, of caffeine intake really opened up, but that you just described <laughs> the brown sugar, oat milk, what, shaken, oh, so almond, good. What, caramel, all of that. That's my favorite. So that's a really good tip. And so the next time that you and I are able to see each other in person, coffee's on me and we will definitely great. Uh, just coffee's on me, but all day. <laughs> we'll just keep it flowing. Amazing. We'll Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you taking the time and I truly cannot wait to see what is next for you. Thanks for having me. It was my pleasure. Isn't it funny how some CEOs will admit to drinking caffeine and coffee all day long and some have completely sworn off coffee altogether. I'm finding in these conversations that there's not much of a middle ground. There are very few CEOs that I've had the pleasure of speaking to who say, oh yeah, I start my day with one cup of coffee and that's all I need. So I hope that in addition to all of the deep work that I had in terms of the conversation with Audrey and all the other CEOs on the Hard Cost Podcast, I hope that you have also enjoyed learning a little bit more about the people behind the brand, uh, because it has really been a pleasure for me to bring these stories for you. If you would like to learn more about Audrey Saccone, and I know that you do, First, you can visit her website, audreydigital.co. AudreyDigital.co has more information about their services, their portfolio, how they can work with you, and all sorts of other incredibly helpful information. You can also find links to their social platforms. And on Instagram, they're at Audrey Digital. And again, you can learn more about their Shopify development work and a lot more tips in terms of online marketing and audience growth. Thank you as always for listening. And I can't wait to join you for the next episode of Hard Costs. Thank you for listening to this episode. My hope is that through someone else's journey, you're able to find what you need to keep going because a rising tide lifts all boats. Doing business is hard, but none of us has to navigate it alone. So make sure you share this with a friend or a colleague who needs to hear this message. And I would love for you to write a review so we can keep getting these incredible founder stories to as many people as possible. If you liked this episode and want to learn more about my services or would like to book me as a speaker for your next event, head to katiewidrick.com. I'll see you on the next episode of Hard Costs.